as you find your seats, if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Titus chapter one, if you don't have your Bibles, you'll also see, uh, uh, the passage for you in there provided for you is in Christ alone. Not one of the greatest songs ever. I'm telling you, uh, shout out to that. I agree. I don't know who you were, but I tell you, we can sing that every Sunday. I don't think I'd be, uh, I think I'd still love it. It's amazing. The reality that I can stand in the righteousness of Christ, the reality that God loves me and that nothing in hell or in man could ever drive us out of the father's hand. Is that not good news? Is it not good news that we're loved, uh, that we're secure, uh, that our savior reigns, he lives and, uh, we have life and life abundantly with him. So if you're here this morning in whatever condition you find yourself, I pray that you will be able to leave here in the love of Christ alone, knowing uh, how much to the depths that he loves you. Hey, we're in a series called uh, Proper Working Order. It's a little study on the book of Titus. As we look to Titus, it's a letter that was written by a guy named Paul, an apostle Paul, uh, to a minister named Titus. Uh, he was sent to put all things in proper order. That's not an easy task, huh? That remained in a place called Crete. But because it's God's living word, it's for all of us uh, this morning. So it's such a privilege to journey with you. Let's turn our hearts to the Lord as we begin. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for the amazing reminder this morning that you are a good God, a good father, an amazing savior in Christ Jesus, and a wonderful comforter through the Holy Spirit. God, we should come in here and just give you everything, our praise, our, our love, our lives, because of who you are. But more than that, because of what you've done for us, that you've loved us before time began, before you created the oceans or the mountains, you decided to love us. And you knew that we would rebel. You knew that we'd live our lives oftentimes in denial of you, not even thinking that you existed. And yet you loved us. And that love, you rescued us through your son, Jesus. We thank you for the life that now reigns in us because of him. Holy Spirit, draw near to us. Come and join us. Remind us of the amazing depths, the unfathomable depths of your love, your grace, your mercy, the beauty of your son. May he clearly be seen through the word, through the worship, through the prayers, we're here in Christ alone. We pray this in his matchless name. Amen. Attitude reflects leadership, Captain. Attitude reflects leadership, Captain. Ring a bell for anybody. It was an amazing quote for what I think is one of the best movies in my lifetime. Remember the Titans? Have you seen it? Do you remember the quote? Uh, remember the Titans, what probably makes it an even better movie. It was based on a true story. It was a true story of two high schools integrating in the Virginia suburbs, uh, close to Washington, D.C. The year was 1971, a lot going on in our country at that time, uh, a lot of volatility, sadly, between races, and you have a predominantly black school joining with a predominantly white school, and the story is told how they come together through the victories on the football field. Pretty amazing story. Uh, that line that says, attitude reflects leadership, captain, was given by Julius, Julius Campbell. 
A big uh, defensive end, uh, obviously representing the African-American school, was talking to the captain of the team, Jerry Bertier, an all-American captain linebacker. And they were struggling. The season had just started. and There was a lot of tensions between the black players and the white players. And, and Gary was lighting into Julia saying, you're playing selfish. You're just so talented, but you're playing selfish. And Julia says, you kidding me? Your white guys aren't blocking for us. He said this, attitude reflects leadership. There's a bad attitude here. It's because there's a problem with the leadership. It's true on a football field. It's true in business. It's true in our homes. And it's true in our churches. Leadership, the attitude of our church will be reflected in its leadership. As the leadership goes, we've seen it. So often goes the church. Let me stop and hit pause by saying, first and foremost, that the leader of this church, the church of Jesus Christ, is Jesus. And we're in good shape as long as he stays our leader and he will forever be our leader. But this morning, we're going to look at our church, the leadership of our church, and the attitude that we should have. Because it's so important for us to have the right attitude about God, his word the gospel of Jesus Christ and the kingdom. I mean, Paul knew how critical leadership was. Remember what's happening here in the book of Titus. Paul is leaving Titus behind in this island of Crete. And the people there were known as drunkards, bullies, lazy gluttons. He had an interesting call. And he was given an amazing task. He says, Paul says to him, whatever is out of order, I want you to take the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ and the God of order. And I want you to preach to them good news and bring into the proper working order everything that says out of order. Man, what an amazing call. Well, he begins with leadership. If the church is going to have a proper working order, we have to have proper working leadership. So the first thing that Paul says to Titus is you got to go look for godly leaders. You got to find leaders, elders who, who will live a lifestyle that is consistent with their message. Because for the church to be successful, for the church to be the beautiful bride of Christ that God has called her to be, the leadership need to be saturated in the gospel. The leadership has to be in love with Jesus. The leadership have to live their lives consistent with the message of God's word. Paul knew it, so he said the first order for you to this is go into every town and appoint elders and leaders. These leaders got to be examined first. He's going to give a list of uh, things that their lifestyle should have. And he's going to use a phrase twice as we read through this in just a moment. He's going to say that, that these leaders, these elders, these pastors, they should be above reproach. And the Greek word for above reproach is blameless. That's a tall order, isn't it? I'm so glad it didn't say sinless. Because if it did, I'd be running out the back door and none of us would be able to be qualified to be a pastor or an elder. But the word above reproach, one of the best translations of this word I've ever heard is this, without handles. Above reproach means that you live your life before God and others in such a way that there's nothing, there's not a handle that someone could grab onto and take you down. A handle that says your message just does not match your lifestyle without handles being above reproach. As we look at this, 
to not to have a leader, an elder without handles, he must himself have a handle on his life. There's three areas we're going to look at in Titus 1 that a leader should have a handle on to properly lead Christ's church. A handle on his family. Secondly, a handle on his own lifestyle. And thirdly, a handle on God's word. Now, the good news is as well is that this is for not just leaders. This is going to talk about a mature Christian. This is for all of us. Each one of us. Uh, needs to hear this message because really this is called for us to be followers of Christ. And I also have to start with a little bit of a footnote and say, this is a tough message to preach. Why? Because we're going to look at God's standard for leaders. And we're going to look at standard. And I'm going to tell you, there's going to be things that might make my knees buckle. And there's going to be things that say, oh Lord, I need some real help in these areas. We're also going to start looking at some things that this church believes in is according to God's word that's not necessarily embraced by our culture. So I'm going to need to pray uh, as we uh, begin. We're going to read God's word first, but, but know that throughout this sermon, there's going to be several times I'm going to be looking at that door, thinking, do I need to get out quickly before they know the truth? But here's the beautiful thing. The good news of the gospel is you hear God's word. This is a call on your life, the way he wants you to live your life. Not because he's a father who wants to beat you with a stick. Because he's given us a savior who's given us life and life abundantly. That for us to live our lives according to his word, you ready for this? That is the abundant life. That is, he wants to give us joy. He wants to give us blessing. And he wants to tell us how to live. And he does it and says, this is your life that you should have. This is what a life with good order is all about in Christ Jesus. Now listen, there's going to be things that I hit in this list that the Holy Spirit's going to do its business with you. And you're going to say, ooh, man, I'm not good there. Here's your response should be, run to Jesus. Remember, any area that you're not good in, he's perfect in. And in Christ Jesus, he clothes you. And his Holy Spirit makes you more like him. So this is not to make you all feel like you're a bunch of loser, pond scum kind of people. This is a, a message that says our leaders should be held up to a certain standard. And that standard should reflect Jesus Christ. But all of us are broken sinners that need him desperately. All right? All right, let's look to God's word, Titus 1. We're going to look to verses 5. We stopped at verse 5 last week. Uh, We're going to read 5 through 16. Paul did write this letter to Titus in a place called Crete. But because he was inspired by the Holy Spirit, it's a living word. And for whoever you are and however you got here, it's a word for you today. Let's hear God's word. I'll read aloud. Read along silently with me. Paul writes, this is why I left you, Titus, in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, that's that word uh, without handles. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers or faithful and do not open and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, and that's another term for elder, for an overseer is God's steward, must again be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy taught word as taught, 
so that he might be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcised party. This is talking about those Judaizers, those uh, a Jewish background who are trying to embrace Christ, but also saying, if you really want to be a follower of God, you also need to do these things. They must be silenced, Paul says, since they're upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good. Let us pray. Oh, Holy Spirit, come. Oh, Holy Spirit, come and give us ears to hear the words of our Savior Jesus. Father, I hear these words and many of them cause me to shudder. I thank you that I could run to Jesus. May all of us do that. God, we thank you for the standard that you're calling all of us to, especially the leaders, because this will reflect who you are. So give us ears to hear your voice. Be our teacher. Give us minds to understand what this means for us today. It was written a long time ago in a different context. But God, give us the mind to see that this is a living word that each one of us is called to be in submission to. Father, would you give us hearts that believe, believe in who you are and what your son has done for us. Father, I'm sure that there are hearts here that are cold because of sin, maybe hardened because of sin. Would you lovingly break them? Father, I'm sure that there are hearts here that might be filled with unbelief, maybe having a hard time figuring you out. Maybe it's because of things that is happening in their lives. If there are wounded hearts, would you mend them today? Would you mend them in the gospel of Christ Jesus? And Father, would you come by the power of your spirit and would you be with us in such a tangible way through your word and through the table that we would be empowered to walk out of here in obedience to you, worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, the things that I say that are my opinion or that are wrong, may they fall away and be forgotten quickly. The things that are said that are true and contain the good news of the gospel, use those things to make us more like your son, our Savior Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. If you want to follow along with my uh, outline, it's in the bulletin for you. But as we begin, let me give you a little bit of background because we're going to talk about these leaders, these officers. And there's an amazing passage right here in Titus that we have looked at. But there's something that uh, theologians call the infallible rule of interpretation. How do we interpret Scripture Well, we let scripture interpret scripture. So when you're looking at something like officers in the church, you want to kind of broaden your scope and say, what does all of scripture say? 
What does all of scripture teach us about uh, this role of officer, this role of elder or pastor in the church? And we're going to see that there's a parallel letter. It's a very closely written letter called 1 Timothy 3. And in 1 Timothy 3, Paul writes to a, another pastor, a young pastor named Timothy, and he gives them a list of qualifications for officers. As a matter of fact, it's in 1 Timothy 3 that we realize that there's two clear offices in the New Testament. There's an office of elder, and there's also an office of deacon. And he deals with both of them. Here in Titus, we're just going to hear about the elders. You'll see the similarities between Titus and 1 Timothy 3. But also, as you read through the book of Acts, which is like the history of the early church, you're going to see why the need for deacons emerged. The need for deacons emerged because there were so many needs. There were so many widows with needs. And, and the apostles were preaching the word and God was adding to his church. And he says that you need to set aside certain men filled with the Holy Spirit. That these men, these deacons, they're going to take care of the mercy needs of the church. And they're also going to assist the preaching of God's word by letting those who are called to preach, preach. Well, this church has those two offices. Elders, those who are teachers and overseers. We'll see that in a minute. Deacons, those amazing, blessed men who even come up and whisper to me during the service today, you got everything you need. Let's make sure that the preaching of God's word will be done and also take care of the widows. Uh, that's what God has for us. Hey, let's look a little closer at what some of these words mean that we're going to be talking about. An overseer and an elder is the same thing. In the book of Titus, Paul says, uses both of those words. Let's look at them a little bit more closely. An overseer. The Greek word is episkopos. Episkopos, it means this. One who has the responsibility of safeguarding or seeing to it that something is done in the correct way. So God raises up certain officers called overseers. They're also elders to make sure that things are run in a right way, in the proper working order, according to God's word. He'll also use the word elder. The Greek word presbyteros. Sound familiar? Presbyterian. That's where we get the word Presbyterian. It basically means elder. Uh, literally, it means an elderly man. Uh, it also could mean an official. And we look through God's word, we examine God's word, and we also see that the word shepherd is used for an elder, especially in 1 Peter 5, that an elder is supposed to be tending the flock, specifically feeding the flock through God's word. So an elder, an overseer, uh, a shepherd are all same one thing. Now, there's something you might have noticed about this and even have noticed about my language. The Bible says that the officers are to be men. Why? Is God a sexist? No. Does God feel like women are inferior? Absolutely not. Why would it be that God would do something to us that seems so culturally irrelevant, uh, so insensitive? Why would God allow his word to make it clear that these officers are to be men? Well, I think that we got to, again, examine all of scripture and see what does God say about the role of male and female? We believe here at this church, uh, women are a complementarian view of the women's role. And it means this, absolutely equal in your being and your substance with men. There's no distinction. In the gospel of Jesus Christ, there's neither male nor female. That 
the women uh, of this church that are in love with Jesus, you and I are co-heirs with Christ. You and I, I mean, we are equal in God's eyes. It's a beautiful thing, but we are not equal in our roles. That God has given a God of order distinct roles for his church. You know what helps us here is if we picture the Trinity. This is also true of the Trinity. The Trinity, the Bible describes there's one God that's a living, eternal God. And this one God, there's a mystery to this, exists in three persons, separate persons. There is a Father, a Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, in their being, they're not only one, they're equal. They're equal in power. They're equal in glory. I mean, the, the, the Son is no more glorious or powerful than the Father or the Holy Spirit. They are absolutely equal. And yet, in their function... They, there is a, a subordination uh, to one another. The son who says, I've come to do the father's will. I'll do nothing except what the father has sent me to do. The son, although being equal to the father, he submits himself to the father. The father and son send the Holy Spirit. So what is the point of this? The point is this. There is this one God, a God of order, who shows us that in his word, male and female are absolutely equal in terms of our standing before God in Christ Jesus. He loves both of us. The only way we see and know God is knowing male and female. But this God of order, for some reason, decided that men should be the one who are the officers of the church. Not because we're smarter. Oh, we know that's not true, don't we, ladies? And not because we're wiser. We know that's not true. Because God of order wanted it that way. He wanted the son to be the rescuer, the father to be the sender, and the Holy Spirit to be the comforter. I don't know why, but he did. And I want you to know, this is hard. This is a bit hard. Because we are going to see as a church that's kind of a little bit backwards and a little bit old school. As a matter of fact, I just had a conversation this week with an elder of another Presbyterian church, uh, not in this denomination. And that denomination who had such struggles with so many things that they'd given up on in God's word that they were leaving the mainline denomination, examining where to go uh, to land and say, this will now be our denominational home. And they looked at the PCA. And they looked at the PCA and they said, you know, we thought about becoming PCA, but your role on women was just too strong. And I step back and say, you know, I know God's using your church and I know the gospel's there and I know there's a lot of great people and I understand. But you know what? I'm called to preach God's word. And God's word is, when it's clear, I gotta be clear. And uh, uh, again, uh, I hope and pray that every woman in this church feels loved and embraced. And the reality is there's so many leadership opportunities. I mean, Vicky's leading us in worship today. Vicky's reading scripture today. I mean, there's, there's, there's roles. There's beautiful roles. And we need you. We really need you for the church to be the church. We need your leadership roles. We need you to live before God and teach younger women, older women. But when it comes to the role of office, we see that God's word says that's supposed to be to reflect his order. And that's supposed to be men. So by God's grace, and as long as I have breath, May I always preach that reality. But again, I also want to point to the reality that qualifications for leaders are really qualifications for all mature Christians. So you can't sit here and think, great, preachers preaching on leaders. I'm not going to ever be a leader. This is not for me. It's not true. If you're made in the image of God, and especially if you were redeemed by the blood of Christ, what we're about to go over is the call on your life too. Because this is a call for us to have our lives in proper working order. Lastly, 
There's going to be nominations for officers coming up in a couple weeks. So as I preach through this and you hear the qualifications, prayerfully consider any man that God puts on your heart that could help serve our church. We need him in the role of elder or deacon. All right, let's jump in. What does it say? It says a leader must have a handle on his own family. The first thing we see in verse six is a a leader must have a handle on his own family. Um, It says this, a husband of one wife or a one woman man, faithful to his wife. I mean, aren't you starting to hear about the, the story after story of the pastors, the leaders who aren't? And God's call is, you want to reflect me? Be a one woman man. Love your wife faithfully. That's the call. Now, I do believe scripture makes provisions for a divorce, uh, if it's a biblical divorce, and if there's a remarriage uh, in a biblical way, uh, they're still married to that one woman. I think that that's okay. We'll have to examine that. Certainly, if uh, a wife dies, uh, there's the opportunity for remarriage, but the bottom line is this. A leader must have a handle on his family, and he must be just loving one wife, his own wife. Secondly, children are believers or children are faithful. What do we do with that one? Proverbs 22, 6 says this. Train up a child in the way he should go. And I know that many of you can answer this. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Is that a guarantee? I mean, don't we want it to be a guarantee? I mean, wouldn't it be the greatest thing? I mean, the greatest thing would be saying if we present God's word to our children and we pray for them and we baptize them and we do everything we can do to raise them in the Lord and the fear and admonition of the Lord. And here is a general rule and a general principle. God's word will not come back void. God is very, very faithful. But I hate to tell you it's not a guarantee. It's just not. And so he says that we got to have children who are believers. Uh, what is he really saying? I think 1 Timothy 3 helps us out here. We got to manage our family well. We got to manage our family well. We got to present to them God's word, be praying for them and with them, knowing that they have a propensity to sin. I mean, they're sinners like us, right? But does this mean that you can't be an officer, a pastor, if you have children who are not faithful? This would be a pretty vacant office, would it not? I mean, there's seasons in our kids' lives. Children are not to be wild. That means reckless abandon and disobedient, refusing submission to authority. Here's, I think, what God's saying. There's a story in the Old Testament of a prophet, a priest, I should say, named Eli. In the first Samuel, Eli comes along, and he's an amazing guy. He anoints Samuel, um, who eventually will anoint David. And Eli had two sons, and these two sons cared nothing about God and his holiness. And they acted absolutely despicable with holy things. So much so that God says, you, 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 your message, Eli, it's, I'm going to have to remove you. Because you're not, you're not shepherding your home. You're not, you're not bringing discipline to your children. I think the reality for elders and for pastors is we've got to do our best to shepherd our homes and, and discipline our children. But let me remind you all that, that they're going to be kids. And they're going to make decisions that aren't always the best decisions. And there's going to be seasons in their lives that... They just mess up. And as a pastor, I want my kids to know especially that it's okay to be a kid. And if anybody expects you to just be perfect because you're a pastor's kid, I don't feel that way. But you've got to know 
that we should live our lives to the obedience of God, our Father. And everything we do should be pointing them to the Lord. But that includes grace and forgiveness. Listen, pointing them to the Lord means this, is that when they mess up, you remind them of the good news of the gospel. You just don't beat them over the head with the law. You remind them that God came to forgive sinners like us. That's some of the most powerful parenting moments is when our kids mess up. And listen, when our kids mess up, do not let that become a shameful thing to you. If that becomes your identity, if that becomes, you know, something that you can't live with, that's, that's, that's your issue, not theirs. They're gonna, there are going to be times, there's going to be seasons, and some kids are more prone to wander. Is it not true? But as all of us, especially leaders, manage your household means continually point them to the good news of Christ. Continually challenge them to live their lives in obedience. And I'm telling you, if your, if your household's absolutely run amok, God's probably saying, this is not your calling right now. You've got a greater calling, your household. It's a, call, call, it's a very tall challenge. And may God give us grace to get through it. Okay, handle, handle on your family. Second thing is this. A leader must have handle on his character, verses seven through eight. There's some negative traits to avoid and some pro- positive traits to, to exhibit. The first one is this. A leader should not be, an elder should not be arrogant. I'm calling that big-headed. Christianity has no place for arrogance. Why? Because Christianity is based solely and completely 100% on God's grace, unmerited favor. We stand right before God because of what Jesus has done. What's there to be arrogant about? I'm a broken sinner. I'm a mess apart from Christ Jesus. The only thing I could boast about is sin. No, thank you. May I boast in Christ and Christ alone. A leader should not be arrogant. So he should realize, uh, she or he should realize that all that we have is from Christ Jesus. We should not be not only big-headed, I'm calling it hot-headed, quick-tempered. Those who uh, um, are quick-tempered to to lash out with a short fuse. I really believe those are the ones who um, don't understand that God has called us to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Let me say it better. To me, someone who is quick-tempered is someone who's not secure in their identity in Christ. Why? Because something is happening to them in a situation where they're lashing out because something's being threatened. Their authority, their name, their position. I don't know. Quick-tempered is usually finding your identity in yourself and you're quick to fight it. But when you have your identity in Christ Jesus, say what you want. I'm secure in who Christ is. Not big-headed, not hot-headed, not light-headed. Not to be a drunkard. Not to be a drunk. And it doesn't say you're not to drink. Um, You know, Scripture tells us that Jesus had wine. It tells us it's good for the little uh, stomach as well. Uh, Our denomination doesn't believe uh, that uh, elders are not to have a cold beer at the end of a day. As long as they're not addicted to it. Or being a stumbling block. You know what they call the PCA, don't you? Presbyterian Church in America. Pipes, cigars, and alcohol. (laughs) You go to one of our conferences and you'll find all of those. But hopefully lovers of Jesus. The point is, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't be filled with something else that will intoxicate you. Have we not seen in our own town, in one of our biggest churches, the fact that drunkenness has an effect on leaders? Pray for us. Don't be a drunkard. Violent. 
bully. A bully. Someone who could be a bully with their theology, could be a bully with the way they live their life. But Jesus says, a leader must be like Jesus, gentle and meek. A leader must not be greedy for gain, or really it's a lover of money, shameful gain. A leader should say, I'm going to live my life seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else will be added unto me. Those are the negative traits. Let's talk about the positive traits to exhibit. Hospitable, a lover of people. Do you know what the real Greek word really means here? Lover of strangers. I love that. You want to be a leader? You want to reflect who Christ really is? Love strangers, especially sinners. Why? Because Jesus is a friend of sinners. If we're living our lives in judgment and we're just pointing at people and their sins, we're not being hospitable. But if we realize we're saved only by God's grace and the work of Christ Jesus, that we too are like them, sinners. And we're hospitable. We open up our lives and our, and our, our homes to those around us. A lover of good. A lover of good, kind and generous toward others. I love that. Self-controlled. Being sober, sensible, just doing things the right way. Upright, having high standards, just, fair, righteous, holy, living a life that's pleasing to God, disciplined, having emotions, impulses, desires under control. Did you hear that list? It's a list, isn't it? Let me tell you about the gospel. The such beautiful thing about the gospel of Jesus Christ is that I could come to this and you could come to this and realize, God, again, I've fallen short. That I, I, I try to strive to be blameless, but the reality is that there's things in my life that's not. But here's the beauty of the gospel. You gotta lean into this. It's because of what Christ Jesus has done for us, I can be honest about the truth. Why? Because I'm radically loved and I'm amazingly forgiven and I've been set free so I can stand before you even as your pastor and say, I'm striving and man, that's my goal. And if it's not right, the leader should be poking in my, in my heart and say, Jeff, here's where you're out of accord if they really love me. But the reality is, is I could be honest with you. Why? Because the gospel of Jesus Christ has set me free. And that's what I want to do for you as well. This is God's standard Let's strive for it by the power of the Holy Spirit. But never forget the good news that in Christ alone, we have been loved and set free. Thirdly, a leader must have a handle on God's word. Verses 9 through 16. This is what's happening. I mean, the church was just starting and growing and a lot of false teachers were coming in and they're confusing the, the church. And they're, it says they were ripping apart families. Their families are getting so confused. Is it following Moses or is it following Jesus? There was such confusion that, that Paul was saying, listen, the leaders be, have to be able to handle God's word. They have to know what's in this because they got to be able to stand up for whatever comes their way and say right or wrong. They have to be able to do two things. Give sound instruction. Teach with sound doctrine. Teach in such a way that it's true to the word of God, the orthodox Christian word of God. And here's how a leader should give instruction through his words and through his lifestyle to give sound instruction. Secondly, to rebuke those who contradict it. I mean, there's strong language here. He says, for those who are teaching the wrong things, they need to be silenced because they're messing up church and they're breaking up families. 
So elders need to be there and say, no, that's not right. I mean, the most loving thing an elder can do for us and teach us is to point us to God's word, point us to the gospel, and rebuke those things that aren't right. They must be silenced. Especially, again, there were those religious folks of the circumcised party that were saying, here's how you get pure. Here's how things are to be pure. And he's saying, no, no, no. In Christ Jesus, you're free. You're pure. All things are pure. Don't let them put myths on you. Don't let them put religion on you. And an elder has to be able to stand up and say, this is God's word. This is what it says. Verse 16, hypocrites have always hurt the church. Listen to how this ends. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They're detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. May God cause our lives in the gospel to be fit for every good work. You see, in Christ Jesus, we're brand new creations. He's created us new in Christ Jesus to live a whole new way as God has called us to live for him and for his glory. Being above reproach, living our life without handles. How is it in your life? What is the handle? What is the, that secret sin? What's that, that part of your life? Is there something the Holy Spirit saying, that's your handle? That's to pray for. What's going to be able to take your message down? Remember, God calls us not to be above sin, but to be above reproach and to run to Jesus. It's Jesus, the only one who lived his life truly above reproach. Pilate, even Pontius Pilate, could find nothing wrong with a guy. I mean, there he was being accused. They're all crying, crucified. And he says, I don't find any handle on him. There's nothing here. I, I can't find anything wrong with this guy. There's nothing here. And although others were saying, yes, crucify him. And Pilate said, okay, forget it. There's nothing here to take him down, but I'll turn him over to your wishes. And the one who had no handles died for the rest of us who has them so that we could be set free and live fruitful lives, professing the name of Jesus with our lips and with our lives. And it begins with our leadership. Let us pray. Father, if there wasn't good news in the gospel today, I'd be in a world of hurt. Standing up before your people, giving your qualifications for an elder, makes all of us blush. And it makes me run to Jesus, and I thank you for him. God, I thank you for the standard that you're calling us to for the beauty of the church, for the advancement of the kingdom, you're calling us, each one of us, to live our lives without handles above reproach. And God, I thank you that the gospel gives us the power, not only over the penalty of sin, but also the power to live a life in newness of life to you. Holy Spirit, come. Even now, before we go to the table, remind us, remind us of our handles, those things that, aren't consistent with a Christian message. And God, may we confess them because I know that you are faithful and just to cleanse us and forgive us of all of our unrighteousness. God, I pray for the leaders of this church, the elders and the deacons that you've raised up. God, I pray that you would cause us to be men that pursue hard after Jesus' heart, to live godly lives above reproach, God, I thank you for the women of this church. God, I thank you for their leadership and their role. And God, I pray that they would celebrate who they are in Christ Jesus. And they too would encourage us and 
be obedient to your word. God, come. Come and feed us. We thank you for the privilege of giving you our tithes and offerings. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.